You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Welcome all. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series with Jerry Parker, Moritz Siepen and I, Niels Kastablasen, where we each week take the pulse of the global market through the lens of a rules-based investor. For long-time listeners, our conversations are intended to keep you focused and inspired to continue your trend-following journey. And if you are newer to the show... Uh, our hope is that today's episode will prime you to peruse the back catalog and check out episodes you may have missed. Jerry Moritz, how are you guys doing this evening in Switzerland, Europe? Yeah, good evening, good afternoon. Jerry, doing fine. Doing well. It's nice to be wide awake for a change. Well, yes. I want to do the podcast. I'm usually wide <laughs> awake at some point in time. <laughs> Absolutely. For, for those who may not catch this uh, internal talk here we're we're recording friday evening uh european time uh, which is not our usual uh recording time you know obviously uh it's been an interesting week um kind of more calm than what we've seen uh at the begin or the, at the end of of january uh so some of the trends have come back in 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 vogue uh that we saw in the beginning of the year of course the talk of the town this week is tesla uh, and uh, I can already reveal that we have questions about that, so I'm sure we'll get into those details. But, Moritz, as usual, how was your week? Good week, uh, busy week. I must admit, I haven't closed down the markets yet for my system. I have a feeling that it's a positive week, probably only slightly positive. Uh, I guess today is a good day. Uh, the bonds are rallying the last time I looked. Yesterday was certainly positive, but I'm not so sure about the days prior. So I guess it's... Um, I guess it's slightly up. Yeah. I mean, so far on our side, as, as of yesterday, um, certainly a, a solid week. Um, equities uh, in the lead, so to speak. Um, currencies also did okay uh, so far. And um, we saw some small losses in some of the other uh, sectors, but nothing that so far uh, have been able to spoil the week uh, overall. But of course, I think all eyes will be on you, Jerry, this week. You're the only one who dare trade Tesla. So... Uh, uh, take us inside the uh, the machine room a bit here. <clears throat> I like Tesla. You know, it was a short just a few months ago, and um, it does kind of reversed in, in, into a long. So you know, that's probably a, a good chart pattern. I don't look at patterns, but it's you know, if you're interested in that, it's going from long to short fairly quickly is probably a, kind of a bummer for people who are short, and so that's probably a good thing for the long. You know, people don't like to turn around having a law, a frequent law, uh, recent loss so quickly. Then, oh God, I got to go short. I mean, long. So <clears throat> it was a good trade, and it's a big stock. But you know, as always, we just size it um, inversely to the volatility. Number one, which was low. You know, ten or twelve dollars a day ATR at the time, and now it's I think sixty something. So I really like it on the days when it's up one hundred and fifty. But then one day this week, it's down 150. I didn't like that as much. So, you know, it's a small position. I trade 35 stocks. So every position's small. And that's the that's why I just don't even, uh, you know, break a sweat one way or the other. It's, it's so much fun to have a sector or a group of markets that there's so many to choose from, even if you're trying to find a diversified group. And then you can trade them super small. 
Um, to where, you know, it's not even an issue on those really bad days. You know, your pride may be hurt. Um, but uh, it's fun. And I wish there was, I could trade 35, you know, bond markets that were different, you know, or 35 uh, currencies that were all different. But the stocks were kind of fun. And um, someone asked me today, are you interested in hearing um, the market commentary on some of these markets? And I'm like, I mean, I'm interested. You know, 99% of what I do is going to, actually in the markets is going to be rule rules-based, but I'm still interested in what's sending, you know, Tesla up and down and some of these other markets just for the heck of it. Sure, sure. No, I mean, there will be definitely some questions. Uh, uh, I recall that from uh, seeing the in emails coming in. And of course, if you do have questions for the show, uh, info at toptradersonplug.com is the place to send them and uh, we'll do our best to get them on the first uh, coming uh, episode. Jerry... Other than Twitter, in, in terms of coming back to that a little bit later, in the kind of uh, uh, fin-tweet world, topics, uh, articles that you found uh, interesting, uh, that your followers uh, liked or disliked, um, what um, what did you see this week? Well, I kind of liked um, this paper that Corey Hofstein wrote that I thought was pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed it. I tweeted a lot about this. Um, he had some good int information in there, and he ended with, um, you know, basically something I totally agree with, which is, hey, how about looking at uh, trend-following your equities? Um, <clears throat> if you have equities, and if you like equities, and your portfolio is full of equities, let me trend-follow those as well. So I think that's a, I really like that ending. But he started off by saying, um, for trend-following CTAs, more diversification means less upside participation with equities, uh, but higher returns when equities are negative due to more notional exposure. And in past crisis, we've seen a large number of assets trending simultaneously. So I think he's sort of getting in there and sort of showing us, you know, what's happening here and how do you make it better or possibly worse uh, when you uh, build a CTA portfolio with uh, stocks and should go for more diversification or less. And so, um, and of course I left off one of his key concepts in this is that when they go through this analysis, they're keeping the portfolio kind of vol adjusted to sort of the same risk portfolio. And so basically saying like uh, diversify, you'll make more money, you'll make less money when equities do well, of course, because you're trading all these commodities and bonds and interest rate and, and uh, currencies. But it's been a tendency over the years that uh, when stocks do poorly, lots of other markets, these markets that you're trading, they're gonna do pretty well and actually, you have on a bigger position. You know, you can have on more stuff, and uh, if you're the more diversified you are. So I thought that was very good insight. Sort of obvious, but uh, I really enjoyed how we unpacked it all. Yeah, I mean, you say it's sort of obvious, um, but I also think it's maybe a little bit counterintuitive to many people because they might think that okay, the best way to try and you know trade trend following um and and you know especially during times where you want to uh, mitigate losses in in your equity portfolio uh, you should have lots of equities and and go short and all of that but the point of course is that when you go through real crisis the volatility expands dramatically in that underlying uh, asset and that forces you to reduce your position significantly if you don't have the diversification from all the other markets um as you pointed out and uh, so i mean i think it's super interesting and i think that maybe uh, 
um, you know, we know that a lot of money have a lot of money from investors who want risk mitigation have flowed to the larger investors, or sorry, the larger managers who actually have less diversification in, in, in my view. Uh, than maybe the 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 kind of the one to two billion dollar managers or zero to two billion uh, compared with the mega funds where just from pure liquidity uh, reasons um, they they have to focus on on more financials uh, in that sense so so maybe they inadvertently are missing out a little bit on what they really are trying to get uh, of course we don't really know yet because it's been a while since we've had a real crisis but um, it'll be interesting to see when it when it does come. Did you see that article, uh, Moritz? Yes, I, I did see the article by Corey. And just a reminder for our listeners, Corey was on the show probably half a year, three quarters of a year back. Um, recommend to listen to that. It was one of the articles where I thought it was really well written, very objectively. And I was reading through it and just you know saying to myself, yes, I agree, I agree, I agree. So um, it's a good probably five to ten minute read. Uh, highly recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just uh, another thing he says in the article is that um, something I've tried to say myself, but I'm not sure I do a good job of it. But he says, uh, trend following tends to transform the underlying distribution of assets to generate positive skewness. More leverage can help push those positive trades even further out in the tails. And I sort of summarize it by saying un unprofitable buy and hold markets become profitable. It's a miracle. And I think that's the key, you know, um, <clears throat> to... Um, to desiring a strategy like ours is that um, you can just get more good markets in there. They're all good, you know, they're good to the degree that they add diversification and reduce risk. And the way to get them in there is by trend following. And I think that that is, uh, you can overwhelm, it doesn't matter if the market is negative skewed, positive skews, or if you know what that means. I don't, sometimes I think I know what it means, sometimes I'm not so sure. But I do know that just because it's, not that great of a market on a buy and hold basis. You can put it in that portfolio of a trend following strategy and it will add value, i.e. make money and then reduce your volatility as well. So I think uh, he was sitting on all cylinders for me and I thought, uh, yeah, what a great, what a great uh, article. So that's about it on, on uh, Twitter this week. Uh, but um, unless you want me to dig deeper, I can do that. But uh, no, but it's interesting about this negative, positively skewed. I mean, uh, we talked last week uh, where we um, where we had this explanation about divergent and convergent strategies, and convergent strategies are negatively skewed, and uh, meaning that they often have small gains and and continue, uh, you know, very you know consistent small gains. But then suddenly, when things really get uh, dicey, uh, they tend to lose a lot uh, in a short space of time. Um, and um, so, so I think it ties in quite nicely with that. But I also think it ties in with the fact that I think most people, maybe they're not even aware of it, but most of the stuff they have in their portfolio is negatively skewed. And you need something to offset that. In my opinion, you really need to look at, you know, the attributions, you know, divergent uh, in your portfolio and and convergent attributions in your portfolio, and really take a, a close look because. As the, as, as the um, uh, lister writing in uh, last week uh, was saying, I mean, when he was a consultant reviewing a lot of these portfolios, he, he realized that 80, 80 to 85% of the client's portfolios were 
convergent uh, stra- strategies, uh, so they would all get into trouble, um, you know, more or less at the same time. Go ahead, Moritz. I have a comment I want to make after I hear from you. <laughs> Nothing to say on that, really. So, you know, uh, one of the things that struck me, though, is that um, should we ever desire to have things in our portfolio that are sort of negatively skewed? And maybe we have to. And uh, that's, you know, so I guess sort of the definition of long-only stocks. But I think that um, maybe Corey and I are sort of saying, hey, let's trend follow those stocks as well. And then we can turn those into positively skewed. And then, of course, uh, adding currencies and interest rates and commodities is going to make things better. But the way to do those, of course, at least the commodities and currencies, is you have to use trend following. So I guess, do you ever want really, is that your desire? Do you really want that? If you don't have to have it, I guess one of the problems is you have to believe in trend following. Number two is when trend following, if you trend follow all of your equities, all of a sudden, are you subject to this, um, the risk of um, tracking error? I was hesitating because I couldn't, (laughs) that's my favorite topic. And so... Uh, you know, in career risk, hey, you know, we didn't make as much as the S&P last year, which was a great year because we were trend following all of our stocks. So I guess that's one of the reasons you may not mathematically, not practically, not a professional trader or investment manager reasons, but for political reasons, you may not, you may want to have some of that uh, negative skewed stuff. But to be like everybody else. Yeah, that's right. But but here's the thing though, because I'm not familiar with any. So I've never seen a pure trend-following equity portfolio. I've never seen the results, so I don't know how that stacks up compared to uh, a um, a long-only equity portfolio. I really don't know. But what I do know, or what I do believe, is that um, a large part of the secret to what we do is the fact that we trend-follower many, many different type of markets, i.e. the diversification within our portfolios are really important because when I look at sector returns from the various strategies that I've worked with over the over time, you can easily have, and I'm sure even in the last decade, you can easily have, at least if you trade indices, so I'm not talking about single stocks because as I said, I don't have any evidence of that. But if I look at trend-following strat- strategies trading the indices, they may not have done very well despite this long bull market because it gets stopped out from time to time and all of those things. So, so so I would love to see if anyone could show me what is the data actually, is it better to trend following just stocks or do you really need all the other stuff to get the full benefit? I mean, I know we all agree that we, you get more benefit from trading all the other stuff, but I actually don't know if you really need it in order to or whether uh, trend following only stocks can stand alone. I think there is one person that can show us. And I remember uh, the two of us or the three of us speaking to him over Twitter probably half a year ago, and we invited him to the show. His name is Nick Ratch. He runs a website called The Chartist. He's Australian, and he has on that website, and he offers a system that runs trend following only on stocks. So he can probably tell us a bit about his experience on that. Uh, but from the charts, I remember that it definitely outperforms the ASX, which is the Australian share price index. Um, and and I would I would agree. I haven't tested it myself, but I'd be surprised if 
you know, if you do trend following on a diversified basket of stocks to the extent that you can get diversification, that should be doing much better than just running it on the indices. And so there I'm catching myself guilty saying that and trading the equity indices. So for me, it is probably still this transitionary period where eventually I'll probably fade out of the equity indices and start moving into the single stocks because very, very difficult to find a reason to not do it. You know, given the, like for my private account, the account size I'm running, trading those single stocks is really not a problem at all. Um, if you're, you know, a multi-billion uh, hedge fund, then maybe you have to go for the indices, but but I'm not that. So I think we, we should have a word with Nick and uh, see what he says. Sure, he's listening in, so uh, I'm sure he can... Uh uh, send us a little bit of the data and and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll find time to uh, get him on and talk about that. I think it's a super important super interesting discussion. I just don't have the facts. So every time I hear trend following stocks is better than than you know, long only, I just don't have the evidence. you know, I just don't know. Yeah, well, I think um, nothing's gonna beat the s and p. No strategy except right. since whenever. Okay, so since 08, uh, 09. Yeah, so that's going to be the best. And uh, now I would say of the three options, the trading the trend following the single stocks, let's just say it's the same 500. That's going to be the worst performer um, <clears throat> because you probably had more uh, exits in a, since Oh nine, and then you well certainly if you did any shorts, probably there was going to be minimally a net loser, if not every single one of them was a loser. So, and then in the middle would be sort of trend following the S and P, which is like you know minute and a half back test since oh nine. That's gotten out a couple of times on those big huge sell offs, and then only to watch it a month, weeks or months later to go back to the highs. So, but I think to to some degree. Um, and then, so the answer really is, over many decades, you know, it's probably going to be close to trend following as maybe a slight edge at the end of 08 when stocks were down 50%. Oh, you know, trend following was wonderful. It it crushed, uh, at least over a 10-year period, of course, the, um, the buy and hold. And then ever since 09, it's gradually probably given it all back or some of it back. So, but, you know, What's your goal? Is it to make the same amount of money? Is it risk adjusted? You know, it's very, it's a it's a long, drawn out debate. Yeah, of course, we're also fortunate um, uh, that we have someone coming on the show in not that many weeks. I think I think we haven't quite confirmed the date, um, but um, Eric Crittenden will be joining us in a few weeks, and of course, he would be a really good person to ask because he also knows this stuff and i think he's even wrote paper about trend following single stocks uh, or stocks um so um but what i'm actually trying to get to is this thing is it better to trade a portfolio of single stocks but do it with trend following is it better to just be long only equities and of course better meaning we obviously have different ratios for that and all of that stuff or is it better just to say, okay, I'm going to put 50% of my portfolio in a long-owned portfolio of equities and 50% in a fully diversified portfolio of trend following? That is actually, to me, the interesting 
if 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 our I mean let's try to get to the you know I don't know if we can get to the bottom of that but let's in the next couple of weeks you know speak about that maybe a bit more I guess you know if the conclusion is it's better to trend follow the stocks then that should then be what you do if you're a stock investor and the option of 50% index 50% stocks is no longer viable then right if the conclusion is index is better then do the index and not trend follow the stocks one must be better than the other you know to some degree I think it's a philosophical question, you know, like for me, let's say, I, I don't really care what the evidence is. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure that the evidence over 50 years is to use the trend following. But, you know, over the past 10 years, I would say, no, it's not that way. But to me, it doesn't matter if it's over the past 500 years that the index has done better. It's still not acceptable as a risk manager to have your portfolio subject to a 50 to 75%, or I think the NASDAQ was down 90% once, uh, 90% drawdown. So no, it's never going to be acceptable. I understand how trend following works. I understand that it doesn't work well on some markets, and I understand it works amazing on other markets at some other times, but that doesn't mean you should trade those markets bigger. So I think it's um, <clears throat> more of a philosophical, if you understand how trend following works, if you understand how great it is on all these other markets that you're uh, asking clients to invest in, then of course you're going to think that the odds are that it's, you know, as a, from a risk-adjusted point of view, it's not acceptable for a part of my portfolio or, or the whole thing, if it's all stocks, to have this amazingly drawdown, then fine, you go ahead and do that and I'll take less profit, but I am not going to put myself in that situation. And then if someone would have come to... I the three of us, any one of us at the end of 08 and said, I just never thought that this could happen. I just never thought I could lose over half my money. We would have said, yeah, I mean, that's the way life is. You can't rely upon historical return. It's sitting there, it's happened, and it's happened to make money over the past 10 years, unlike anything else. It's happened to lose half your money in 08. You can't sit back there and say, that's evidence. It's not evidence. The evidence is the trend following with the 5,000 trade sample size. That's the evidence. There is no evidence other than it's more of like a feel, a religious thing. I don't really like trend following. I don't like systematic. I like value. I like fundamentals. So it's this, you know, that sort of idea. So we would have said, yeah, you can't do it. So then 10 years passes, and I don't think the answer now is, well, I got to see some evidence. No, there is no evidence, because tomorrow, the next 50 to 90% drawdown could occur, and we would say, yeah, that's a bummer. You got to have a trailing stop in order to be a responsible adult when it comes to managing money. <laughs> and I think, I think all of those are great points. And I think the, the what's really important in all of this discussion is the behavioral aspect of it, right? Because people can come with all their, you know. Uh, comparisons right now and say, oh, look how great uh, the S&P has been compared to what you guys do. Sure. But we forget how many people sold their stocks in 2008 and has never seen anything close to return that the S&P provided subsequently because they didn't have any stocks. And that's the point, right? So the, the, so the best portfolio to me is not necessarily the one that gives the single best return. It's the one you could have held on to and felt comfortable with at all times. And of course, something has to give. Uh, if you have lower drawdowns, but you sleep well at night, okay, maybe you have a little bit less return. Yeah, very good. I like it. Exactly, I agree, 100%.
And let's not forget cool. that the S&P is such a very nice long-only trend-following index, buying more of the stuff that goes up and less of the stuff that goes down. Absolutely. Yeah, I wonder if, uh, I think MEB, yeah, that's true, somewhat of a trend-following index. Uh, MEB wrote something, I think it was MEB or someone else I saw that, um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but it was, uh, if the stocks went down 50% um, soon, how much, how long would it how long would it take uh, CTAs to make that? Uh, it's Corey. It's part. I yeah. think it, part, it was part of Corey's. Uh, yeah. Or maybe it wasn't. Maybe we shouldn't attribute to anyone. Yeah. But I saw the same article, yeah. and because we've only made like nineteen percent in the last ten years for the index, right? So even if you drop fifty percent of your equity return, you're still far ahead. But that that's a kind of a silly. But but it is. It would it just basically true. take us yeah. a long yeah. time to make up, yeah. even if the S and P is down fifty percent. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sad, but uh, sure. You know, something well, will happen to where we do catch up. It's not probably going to be that. It's going to be. It ha it's going to have to be way worse than that. And then, um, <clears throat> of course, since we kind of, um, it's not really a fair fight, possibly because some of the best performing CTAs could uh, run a vol that's a lot lower than the S&P right. and uh, that sort of thing. But yeah. to some degree, you know, I hate to be such a, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how you describe it, but it, I guess to me, you know, I've, I definitely could be accused of it doesn't matter what the performance is. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to trade with less diversification. I'm not going to trade without doing shorts. I'm not going to take large losses. I'm not going to pay attention to anything. I'm only going to pay attention to the prices and the trends and it's non-negotiable. It doesn't really matter what else is out there. Other things than that, give a tweak or two. Um, way too risky. It's just not right. And well, then you're going to go a long time and not really make much money. And all you'll be making is the interest income on your margin. And I'll say, okay, I mean, maybe that's the case. But I don't know, I'm just older. And uh, the most important thing about what we do is it's it's under some sort of risk control. Mm. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's uh, in the in in our new um, quest to try and keep our episodes down to about an hour or so, which will probably fail at very shortly. But uh, in 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 that quest, uh, let's jump straight to the questions uh, because there are a few. And uh, the first question in is from uh, Jacob. Jacob writes, as fund managers, you receive new investments, uh, dollars, I hope. Now, let's say that two months after positions have been entered uh, or at any other period, there is a nice uh, open profit, open trade equity, and you have to put a significant amount of new AUM to work. What do you do? A, immediately add to the positions using the same number of contracts, shares, etc., etc., uh, as per the AUM. Uh, that you used two months ago at trade entry, but with significantly more risk, i.e. initial stop uh, plus open trade equity, thereby distribute, distributing possible uncalculated losses over existing clients as well. Do nothing. Uh, do not buy the existing positions. Uh, so that was option one. So option two is do nothing. Do not buy existing positions with uh, the new money. Um, I don't. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I think we get the gist of it. Um, C is a wait for a dip, an adverse price move, and then only <laughs> add to the positions. Uh, D, uh, wait for a pop, a favorable price move, and then only add to the position. E, when in doubt, uh, do half. F, something 
else. <laughs> Buy so, the dip, uh, sell nice the rally one. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Jacob. I think we've got uh, all the choices in the world, except probably from the one that 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 I would suggest. Um, so if I jump in first on this one, I would simply adjust. If you get new AUM, uh, let's just say you have 10% more AUM, you adjust your position sizes by 10% on the day of the first day of the month. Because at the end of the day, I think what you want to make sure is that all clients get the same return. So all clients should be treated equal. And you can only get the same monthly return if you have, obviously according to your, your account size, um, the same number of positions in all markets. Whether they're open, profits, big, small, doesn't matter. You just have to follow your system after that. So that's how I see it. Doesn't mean that it's the same way Morris and Jerry sees it. Well, definitely run some technical analysis and pattern recognition systems and then try to find the top and the bottom and do it there. I'm just kidding. Um, but I think it's an excellent question. Thank you, Jacob. And um, I think there's, I, I would have two answers for you. Um, um, if you run a pool of assets such as a fund, then I would go with what Niels has just said. And this is what I've done in the past, meaning that... Um, I will increase or decrease position sizes of existing positions, open positions, um, uh, by the amount or by the fraction that AUM have increased so that everyone in the pool uh, gets the same return going forward and the strategy is not diluted. If you run, however, individual accounts, managed accounts, then it's kind of like a business decision. And Jerry said this, I think, two or three weeks ago where you know, you're not really forced because, the, kind of like, you know, an open position means that you got into the position at an earlier point in time. So the system told you to get long or short, you know, a couple of weeks back or a couple of months back. It doesn't tell you to buy or sell now. So it is a business decision and maybe a conversation that you need to have then also with the client is, you know, how, how fast do we want to get into those open positions? Do we want them at all? Um, do we want them at smaller size? Do we want them full size? It is a business slash client decision for those managed accounts. I think my default, if um, if I didn't have those discussions and I just had like one choice, one default choice, I would go with what I would do for the pool and say, here's the new money. Okay, thank you. I'm going to increase all the open positions proportionally. Yeah, I have kind of a different view on that. <clears throat> so I run... Um one fund and I have Tesla and I had an addition <laughs> in uh, February. So I had faced with this issue. So I would do it the opposite uh, because uh, of the way Moritz said, because with one fund, I, I didn't add to Tesla, you know, it was a small, it wasn't a material addition, but uh, anyways, well, you may disagree, but it was kind of a normal addition. And so, uh, I didn't add to Tesla, but you know, everyone in the fund is going to get the same return. I've just diluted the return of the prior investors. Um, I had clients asking me though, are you gonna like take some Tesla off the table? Are you gonna sell some after it's been rallying so much? And I said, uh, kind of de facto, I'll just go ahead and process this addition without really, um, <clears throat> without really doing the adjustment rate because it's so crazy and the drawdown is, and the volatility is so up and down, and I'm really concerned about all these investors, you know, and the new investors, their initial response uh, experience is going to be, 
a really bad period uh, or month or whatever due to these markets that are just out of control. But if I, when I used to run a lot of managed accounts, unless I got on the phone with them, which I didn't want to do, you know, and say, hey, let's go account by account, and do you want me to add, you know, you're putting money in, and uh, do you want me to add Tesla to you? I would absolutely put Tesla on for everybody because all of those accounts, they had to make the same amount of money. And so I think to some degree, I got rid of that problem when I only have one account and I can kind of be more free to manage that kind of um, discretionarily. It's a very big discretion on my part on how to handle that. And that's the way I handled it. Yeah. I and mean, I think as, as, as Mart says, I think it's a, it's a business decision at the end of the day. I completely agree with you, uh, Jerry, that for single accounts, you have to treat them all equal. You can't have one account that's up 5% and the other ones are down two just because they didn't have all the positions, uh, you know, so, but I mean, I still think that for me, it's it's such an easy answer um, that you just have to adjust, uh, you know, keep it simple um, because you don't know whether it's going to be good or bad. So, um, but there are definitely different um, ways of doing it, no doubt. But it is a good question. I think a lot of people face that uh, challenge, certainly early on, until they probably decide on this is just how I'm going to handle it. So, yeah. Well, speaking of Tesla, um, James writes in uh, this week. Great podcast this week, as always. Watching this Tesla this morning. Wow, a 5.5 standard. This is from Tuesday, by the way. So this might not even be the big day. I don't I don't know. Watching this Tesla this morning. Wow, 5.5 standard deviation move. If you think it's all a bit too current and inappropriate, then don't worry. But I had a question for Jerry. I think his first mention getting long a touch before or perhaps on the October 24th breakout. Uh, if ever you need proof of trend following of the trend following concept, when one gets these parabolic moves, should we scale back the position at all? I ask because the implied vol of these options is exploding. Um, of course, we just touch upon this kind of very issue, but let's 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 think about it in another way. Maybe uh, Jerry, if you had no additions, no change to your account size. But you still have this parabolic move in Tesla. Would you just sit with it, or would you do anything about it? I know you're not getting a signal because it's just kind of just flying. But and see, for me, it's even worse because I have a long-term exit. So my whole strategy is uh, my analysis is uh, the markets are choppy. They go up, they go down, they go back to new highs. If you're too short term, you get chopped around and you have a big trend because the vast majority are not going to look like Tesla straight up. And so you can't uh, kind of um, slice those and say, well, let's run one system for trades that are that fit that pattern of choppiness and kind of taking their time in two years to make a Tesla uh, like move. Or if it's a Tesla like move, then I'll switch to another system. I mean, I guess you can do that. But. Um, and maybe that's with the, at the end I'll kind of um, advocate. But so I think, um, as I said many times, I have no trouble with a discretionary move to sort of um, vol target on a stock like this, like cut it back to the to the vol that it currently is uh, compared to what it was when you put it on, or just say I'm I'm going to get rid of ten percent, fifteen percent, twenty percent. But don't kid yourself that this is some sort of systematic approach. It's discretion. Trend following treats all trades the same, thus you get the sample size. And inside of those trades, 
are the trades that have almost no sample size, which are the ones that make all your money. Tesla. So you're tricking the system, you're tricking the numbers and saying, hey, I've got a large sample size of 5,000 trades. Unfortunately, 4,900 didn't really make, you know, or small. And the other ones that made all of the money, like Tesla, you don't have enough sample size to slice those down and say, oh, how should I handle those? So I think it's first rule is take your profit and enjoy it. It's no big deal. Um, to help yourself sleep at night. And if it's call vol targeting, then do that. Or if it, you call it just discretion, it's all just discretion. There's no numbers to back it up. And then I think number two, the most important thing is um, what are you, to have a plan of what are you going to do when you get into a situation like this? And I don't think a good plan is, well, I'm just going to wait for my 200-day moving average or my 300-day moving average. You're going to give back all your profit like this sometimes or maybe frequently. So you need to have another tool, which I'm not going to tell you what it is. Think, figure it out for yourself. And my tool is a little bit different when I see markets like this. So I, obviously, I guess I am advocating for another um, way of exiting, which obviously doesn't have a huge sample size. But it is a systematic kind of rule-based. And, and number three, very important, it's trend-based. So if it goes straight up, try to be a little patient or take a little bit off. But if you start seeing some, uh, your tool that you may want to add to your system or rules would be something like, well, at least if it's got to show lower prices, like the other day when it was down 150, you know, maybe you have something that kicks in then, but I'm a little hesitant to have something kick in when it's up 150. Just, you know, it's just the trend follower in me. I'd rather give back you know, $150, $200 with a rule rather than try to guess the high or, I don't know, feel better just making it a trend-based. I mean, obviously, we've talked about this many times, and it's one of those topics that really get uh, us going. So given the time, it's quite late in Europe. We're not going to go there tonight. But, but actually, what you are saying, I think, is that, you know, if you have a rule in there that takes you out of these parabolic moves, uh, you know, at some point, but it doesn't have the same uh, sample size as the other ones, I mean, I don't see a big problem with that as long as you've tested it over a long period of time. Okay, maybe it didn't happen so many times, but you still tested it and you're happy with it, so you're going to continue using it. I, I don't see any particular issue with that as such. Um, compare that to not having a rule and just doing it completely discretionarily, I would say having a rule, even though it has smaller sample sizes, is, is better. What, what do you think, uh, Bartz? I don't know about that. Um... But uh, I, 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 you know, need to confess that I, you know, I, I don't trade Tesla uh, in any of my trend following systematic systems. Those systems, they don't know Tesla at all. They don't even know the ticker symbol. But um, as, as probably our listeners know, I, I have a background in trading those options. And uh, I do have a small Tesla position on, which is absolutely discretionary and absolutely no trend. And this is like uh, on Tuesday when Tesla intraday traded at around 940 960 around that range and uh i was on a on a train back from a client meeting and i was looking at the options markets and even though tesla had made this massive move higher the puts became more expensive let me repeat this the puts became more expensive while tesla was moving higher because the skew which is a term that 
Jerry really doesn't like, but I have to use it, which is the implied volatilities on the wings, like the out-of-the-money options, became so steep that the call and the put prices out of the money were exploding. And I put a limit order in to sell a call in March at a strike price of 1500 So this is still about 600 bucks away from where the thing was trading. And it got filled. And I have a very nice profit on that. But it's absolutely counter-trend. It's very... It's just I got the Tesla flu. You know, you cannot have a... You cannot not have a Tesla position and be on a train while everybody's talking about Bitcoin and Tesla. You have to have it. Otherwise, you're not allowed to talk to it's them. It's so funny with so, you, Moritz, because you are the you are the disciplined trend follower. And then in your private world, you do all these completely not, not, not all these, against this, the rule book. <laughs> absolutely against the rule book. Um, oh, but like okay. Jerry saying, those things, but, you know, how, how frequent do they happen? You know, it's not, I mean, maybe this, it's every once in a while. Everyone's in a you know, like full moon and sunny day. Um, but when they're there, we may as well take a little bit of a position on. It's not something that will really, you know, uh, change my life in any shape or form. It doesn't cause me a sleepless night. Uh, I hope Wayne isn't listening because uh, I, I told him in Miami when I said him that, you know, selling options is really, really evil. So here I am one, win- one week later doing exactly that. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. What have we gotten into but, tonight? But, you know, it's a small thing and um, okay. it's good fun. Last point on Tesla because there is one more email um, which uh, just got in uh, today. Uh, it's from Matt. Matt starts out by saying, Good day, gentlemen, and PT. So, of course, I had to bring PT into the conversation. Um, what methods, if any, do you use to dampen emotionalism when it comes to outsized gains in a position like Tesla, this could be some behavioral response, a point of mental focus, or a rule built into your trading system. Examples, go for a long walk, focus on the next thousand trades, or take part of the position off. I find my worst drawdowns usually come after euphoric gains, and I'm curious to know if it happens after... De- uh, I'm curious to know if it happens after decades in the business keep up the good work i enjoy every episode of the podcast thanks very much for those uh, words matthew again we've talked about it as such um anything i mean at the end of the day we should of course focus on the next thousand trades and not get too emotionally attached um unless we're on a train on a tuesday night (laughs) (laughs) i think um it never goes away it uh the pressure you know, whatever your self-worth, uh, the wheels are turning. I should, this is not going to, why did this happen? I wish it hadn't happened. No one else seems to be suffering from this as much as me. Um, <clears throat> but I think, um, honestly, especially over the past five or six years, I just feel like my anxiety level is gone down to the degree that my diversification has gone up. And just, I continue to concentrate on trading different markets, different stocks, adding commodities, and just being so intent on this and reducing my leverage. I did that, you know, because I'm like, okay, come on. I want to have fun here. Life's going to be fun. So adding these markets and getting it to where you can, it's really not that big of a deal because if you're asking yourself to be a hero all the time and get it right all the time, you may not be able to do it. I don't know if anybody can do it all the time. Certainly, you know, part of it with me also is that when I, I have such a horrible 
a track record of using discretion. And so every time I think about using it, I'm like immediately remembering all how it never has really helped me and worked for me and just sticking to the system, I would have done so much better. And I think that's great advice. I mean, again, it, it, it's a long journey. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and kind of going back to the topic from last week, you know, you, you want to make sure you're always able to play the game, uh, even if you're not being taken out uh, by ruin. Um, it could still emotionally be so impactful that you you leave the the, the 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 trading at the worst possible time. So what you just said, Jerry, about making sure that it's fun, it you enjoy it, I think it's it's super important. Um, yeah, great advice. You know, to me, it's uh, it starts with position sizing. Size all the positions at the beginning. I know the vol can change while you have that trade on, right? But at the beginning, size it at such level that whatever really happens it's not going to change your life and it doesn't really cause any sleepless nights now in the case of tesla as jerry described you know the atr was 12 bucks now it's i don't know 60 bucks or something like that so the thing has kind of like you know 5x vol but regardless i'm, I'm just you know for me personally and maybe it's different for you guys but if if i had jerry's position on and it shows an open profit and it has become more volatile okay maybe take some of the position off but it's still an open profit it's money that I was able to take from the market, and I can be liberal with that relative to the core capital that I have with which I cannot be liberal. But the feeling that is more, and you know, by the way, I've had something like this with the Bitcoin stuff going on at the end of 2017, where I had like a larger position than normally because it was also one of those things, not trading in the system type of thing. Um, I'm going to invest in that fund. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so the, I think to me, what is emotionally more difficult is to, if say you've missed the boat, you've missed the entry, or you don't have a system to get you long, and you look at something like Tesla, and you only have to look back three months, and it was trading at, what, 200 bucks, or even below 200? I, I don't even know where it was, something like that. And now it's at 750. This One, FOMO. 170, 179. So there you go, right? So this FOMO, fear of missing out, this to me is much, much more difficult to overcome. Do you really, are, can you really, are you, are you able to buy it now? Are you able to do that? It, you know, you may be, maybe you run a system, maybe you run some weird trend-following system that only throws you the signal now. You have to buy it now. This is... And you look at the chart, you know, it has done 4x. Everybody has made money and they're probably using that money to buy a Tesla, but you have to buy now. You're touching on two important points, I think. First of all, Moritz, the great thing about trend following is no system that I can think of will miss a signal it. now, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Well, you would be in, I mean, this is the beauty as correct as uh, yeah. This is the beauty of trend following. You would be in, and you would have been in for a while now because it broke out of all these, whatever uh, x number of days high. So so that's the beauty of it. But I think I disagree on one point uh, of what you said, and that is, I don't think we can completely just say oh, but it's open profit. It doesn't matter. It matters to our clients because if your open profits gets booked and you're up five percent in February. But you have a lot of open profits and you just lose 25% in March. That to the client is not, you know, that that's that's crucial, right? So 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 
So if you have, if, if, so, and, and of course on our side, and I'm not necessarily arguing because we do it, but we do adjust our positions based on our overall risk budget on a daily basis. And it's not vol targeting because our volatility can be, you know, all over the place. Hmm. But it is risk managing the portfolio. And, um, and from what I'm hearing is that actually it kind of makes sense when you talk about it that, yeah, of course, if the volatility is expanded, you know, you should adjust it accordingly. So why not do it every day? That, that's what I don't quite understand. Where's uh, the disconnect between that? So I don't see this. This is, I, and I know, you know, you can say that if you take uh, profit off, that is kind of like vol adjusting because it has moved from 12 to 60 ATR and now you're taking uh, money off the table. You could say, well, if you did this on a more continuous basis, then you're really vol targeting all the time. No, 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 no. Nope, I have to disagree. You're not vault targeting necessarily because you can have a, say, at value at risk budget that you have to stick to, but it doesn't mean your volatility is fixed. Not at all. Uh, just, you, you know, if you did the math, it, it certainly doesn't. Well, so what, what because I just volatility meant, if, if every time the ATR changes and you do this in a continuous way and you adjust your position size, this is fault targeting. So one slight form of fault targeting is to reduce your position size, size if volatility has increased. Which, in the case of Tesla, if it moves from 12 to 60 and you're reducing your position size, you've adjusted for vol. So this is one example. So if you do this once, okay, let's not call this fault targeting. But if you did this on a more frequent basis, it becomes this, right? It turns into I, I this. Di I disagree. It may work in the in in your world because obviously, as you know, we we manage risk in a different way, right? So I can't I can't speak to whether it would actually just keep your volatility static if you did it uh, on a constant basis. What I can see on our side is that we, okay, maybe I should add to that. We don't have a fixed VAR budget mm -hmm. either. So our VAR budget can change. And of course, that's why our volatility can change. Mm -hmm. But we're still managing, you know, yeah. So of course, that, the, the, that I have to add the, to it. So that exactly. makes a difference. But the, yeah. the value yeah. at risk, I, I get that point, Neil. It's, it's, yeah. it's something different than the vault targeting, absolutely. Yeah. Because you're not only looking at average true range and adjusting for right. that, right? Um, but but you see my point, right? If you if you react of to course. a change no, no, in ATR and you do that on a more frequent basis, it kind of like morphs into a vault targeting type of thing. But yeah, I mean, sure, clients will be uh, utterly disappointed, as will I, if that open trade profit um, uh, vanishes. And uh, but. You know, you can turn around even if it vanishes and say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not worse off than I was when I started this. It would be so much more disastrous if this became a massive loss of core capital, which it does. But this is what I don't quite. Well, you know, if you're, let's just say, and, and I know we're trying to keep this down to an hour, but now we've completely yeah, lost now. that. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, now we're now into good it, right? All the all the skeletons are out. So let's continue. Um, I listen, haven't even weighed it, in yet, so I'm no, I know, I know, and this is <laughs> this is what myself. I worry about. Yeah, this is what I worry about. I, I you know, I see the steam <laughs> coming out you know, in, 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 in in Virginia, right? But anyways, um, if if you're up for the year, right, significantly, like many CTAs were last year, but it's open profits, right? It was the bonds and all of that stuff. I, I don't think you can treat that performance any different than any other performance. I, I don't think you can say, well, yeah, but it's it's open equity, it's open profits. So it's different if I lose 20% from today. I, I don't see that because for the track record's point of view, 
it's it's the same drawdown whether it came from open profits or from whip soaring getting in and out of 20 different positions to the client i don't see it matters yeah i mean i, I agree i mean it's the same but um you do agree though that um <clears throat> your max drawdown it's okay to have a max drawdown in an open trade that's greater than your max loss. Of course. Oh, no, Everyone sure. agrees but I'm with looking, that. Yeah, so sure, sure, so sure, of course. I can't answer for you that contradiction. It's the same, which I, yeah, it's the same, but you handle these other, you handle it different. Yeah, you're right. I do handle it different. I, I risk 50 basis points um, on a loss. But any medium long-term trend follower is going to risk way more than that from the peak equity of an open trade. So, so you yourself are doing it different, but you just told me it's the same. I, I get the clients see it as the same. And I think the way I would look at it is, what is the right thing to do? And so, in other words, it seems by looking at the data that taking, uh, letting your profits run is a good thing. And then taking small losses is a good thing, which is, you know, um, but at some point in time, you can't let your profits run when they are going crazy, you're losing, it's retracing or, you know, and once again, I think it's, it's not going to crush, kill your expectation of your system to lighten up on trades like Tesla on the way up like this. And so, um, but I will say that, um, you know, we had this one guy here that everybody makes a joke about. I don't know if you heard about this, but he's a basketball player. And they asked him one day, they said uh, something about practice. And he was a really good player, Allen Iverson. And he went off for like 15 minutes just saying the word practice. He just said it over and over, practice, practice. What are you talking about practice? And so I thought like clients, <laughs> what are you talking about clients? Clients, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, I think that's another thing that every trader should do is try to resist. You know, you're the opposite of the client. You want your systems to be the opposite. You know, the client feels this way. They would do it that way. They're gonna give you crap over this happening. And it's just a myriad of different options. And you're like, I am the opposite of the client. You must be the opposite of the client mentally and in your philosophy of trading in order to succeed. I'll go to my grave believing that. And I learned that in December, 1983. And it's and I, and ever since then, my experience has been the same. You cannot talk to me about clients. Although I agree, and I agree, you should uh, cheat a little bit sometimes, uh, a little bit, to because of the clients, because you're in running a business, etc. But oh man, you don't want that to come from your research and your trading department. Uh, you know, try to figure something else out. Question to you guys before you start, just a just and you, Niels, you can then think about what I say and 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 do the thing. Imagine, imagine the following: you have an account starting at a hundred today. It goes from a hundred today to a hundred tomorrow, goes up to one hundred twenty-five and back to a hundred. That's a twenty-five percent drawdown. The other path it, it goes from a hundred today to a hundred tomorrow down to seventy-five. It's a twenty-five percent drawdown. It's the exact same drawdown. Which one do you? like more to your point Niels, where you said it's the same drawdown right from any kind of point in the equity curve 
but the one happened with an open profit and the other one didn't. And, you know, well, I, my I'll just is, say my I'll feel is, much, much better same. with the one going, they, of course they are the same drawdown, but the next day no, I'll no, feel no, much no, better with the one I'm back at 100. No, no, but you can't say that. You you can't say in one portfolio I start by making 25% uh, and, and the other one I just start losing 25%. That's not a fair comparison in my opinion. My point is the following, more It makes the same drawdown. Well, my, my point is that when you look at your track record, right, um, if you lose 25%, you have lost 25%. I don't care whether it was open profit. It's a loss of 25%. And to the client, it's a loss of 25%. It doesn't matter if it was open profit or not. Our job is to manage the return, the overall portfolio within certain parameters. And so my point is that if the maximum drawdown I expect is 25%, it shouldn't be 25% plus another 20% of open profits. That's the point I'm trying to make. That you, if, that's interesting. Me, I really don't agree with that. The drawdown is the same. You wouldn't. So, so my, my, so, so let me ask you another question, right? Is it okay to start by giving back 25% and then lose another 25% um, compared to just losing 25%? Of course, it's not. And and so, my point is that you know a drawdown is a drawdown. It doesn't really matter what whether it was open profit or, or not. Um, because it, that's what it shows up in the track record. To me, it is a distinction with a difference. Yeah, no, I, it's fine, and that's and, we, we don't have to agree, yeah. right? I mean, that, that's I'm sure people love the, the, our conversation tonight, where we don't agree <laughs> on much. So that's that's perfect. That's fine. Because in the first you case, know. what I said, I haven't really lost any money. My capital is still intact, and I can kind of like stay fresh and you know do it again. And don't well, it depends from what time you lost money from when the open profit was at the highest mm -hmm. to where it is now. You lost money. Mm -hmm. You can't deny that, right? Yeah, absolutely. You might say, okay, but if I look at it from the beginning of the year, I lost equity. money. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And all I'm saying is that when you do the back test, the computer says, take those small losses, 50 basis points, but your fluctuation of your open trade, in order for you to make money, in order for it to be a profitable system, your fluctuation is going to have to be much greater than the 50 pips. And that's what I'm saying. Agreed. You can argue about it, but... It's really at the end of the day, you're just going to be compelled to, to look at the data. And then another thing is that in my experience is that if you are habitually fall targeting on trades like this, <clears throat> you must risk more money. And you've heard this saying, risk does not go away. But you don't hear about this from the vol targeters a lot. Like you don't hear them get up on, uh, write these articles and say, well, vol targeting is this free lunch. You know, we just get out of, when the vol doubles, we get out of half our position and we do this daily. There's no downside. Uh, not so fast. If you're risking 50 basis points uh, to achieve the same return uh, with vol targeting, you may have to risk 60 or 70 or 80 because you're taking smaller profits. But my drawdowns are a lot less. I know they're a lot less, but you're not going to make the same target return. The core system you're gonna to have to tr you're gonna to have to just trade it larger and you're gonna shift that loss of open trade equity to more uh, capital loss because you, you and plus with a systematic approach that has 60% losers so it's not that great now it's another twist on the client thing clients don't even see it they don't even see it you, you lose 50 bips you lose 75 bips I don't care. I don't even see it. But let me tell you what I do see. I do see that big drawdown in Tesla, and I don't like it. So as the doctor, 
as the adult, as the person who went to the med school, well, the patient's in charge. I mean, they're going to die, but, eh, you know, they pay the bills. I'm not, I'm not sure what to uh, how to come back on that one, Jerry, but I see it differently. I don't necessarily see all this. I, I think we as as people who can look inside the machine room, yeah, we see all of this stuff. The client sees the daily NAV. They might not even see the daily. They see the monthly. And I think that's what matters. And by the way, I know I agree that we have to protect clients, but we also have to always remember that it's the clients we serve. Maybe not you, Jerry, but we as, as, as businesses where, okay, we are also a client of ourselves, but we certainly serve the clients first and foremost. In that sense, we're going to try and give them the best possible trend-following system we can that we also invest in alongside. So we are part, you know, we are also a client as well, um, you know. But, you know, it's great that we have difference of opinion. So that this is another thing we can come back to from time to time when we all want to get the juices this going. This is a great topic. I mean, it's just so yeah. much fun. I feel like I'm a huge moderate in this because I'm just sort of stating, I don't like this. I mean, I don't, there is no big answer. What I dislike is not uncovering all of the pros and cons of both ways of doing it. I'm definitely 100% on record is take your profit. But, you know, doing this frequently. But, and I would also say that um, regardless of how you try to do it, <clears throat> and the crux of my whole argument was, it's ironic that there is a huge downside to taking profits and uh, doing it a lot, doing the fall targeting or the constant vol vol volatility of the portfolio. And it could be argued that it's people who don't do it are the ones who are putting the clients first because I think it's a little dubious to do it on a, you know, very often. So, uh, and that's the way life is sometimes. <clears throat> when uh, you tell people to take medicine and take your medicine, and I know you're not going to like this, but it's what's best for you, these are not always people who are not putting the other person first. I'm sure we'll come back to this point uh, later. Let's go on to another question. There's a couple of uh, questions left. Uh, this is from Cameron. Cameron writes in, my question is regarding the balance of the markets included in a trading system. I'm fairly new to developing a strategy and would like to hear your thoughts on what good balance of tradable markets is to have in a strategy. I currently trade a system with the following breakdown of markets. Currencies, 55%. Stock indices 10%, commodities 30%, crypto bracket Bitcoin 5%. Obviously, FX looks a bit high compared to the others, or is it not so much of a problem as long as the currencies I trade are as uncorrelated as possible? Any thoughts, guys? Well, he's trading 20 markets because Bitcoin's 5%, so we know that. Um, but um, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think there's a, there's right or wrong there. You can, I believe, have a um, fairly diversified portfolio with twenty markets as a trend following trader, with uh, some equities, bonds, uh, currencies, and um, and stocks, and especially commodities. Um, but you have to try it out. You know, see what produces the diversification benefit that you want. Obviously, the more markets, the better it gets. Um, if you can't trade more than 20, then do that. You know, if you can't trade 30, 40, 50, then I'd go for that as opposed to 20. But I think within the scope of 20 markets, there's a lot of potential to get diversification. Yeah, I started with 20, um, you know, a few greens and 
handful of currencies and a bond or two and one S&P, a lot of times when I see uh, small traders in the portfolio, a small portfolio, I don't have a lot of money, I can only trade a few markets and half the portfolio is stock indexes or ETFs. So I would rather trade um, two or three from each sector, grains, metals, energy, softs, meats, currencies, interest rates, and maybe the S&P index if you have to or something like that, two, two indices. And I mean, you depend on maybe, and then maybe you have to choose um, markets if you have a choice, like which one is the smallest contract, things like that. Just make that decision and try to get as much diversification as possible. But uh, that, you know, it's probably doable. I, I used to do it with a million dollars uh, in 1983. Yeah. I mean, on my side, Cameron, I would just say, I mean, I would probably lighten up a little bit on FX and I would add some bonds just to get more diversification. Bonds are pretty good on the trend following, um, for trend following, generally speaking. So, um, yeah. Um, otherwise, I think everything has been said about that. The final thing I wanted to touch on in terms well there's two more things there's a quick one which i don't well i don't know if it's quick but i hope it is quick because um i don't know that we know so much about it but it's from one of our very favorite uh, listeners sam so i do want to uh, acknowledge and bring it in uh, and that is just uh, a question about esg and so uh, he's asking whether we are aware of any um trend following hashtag traders who till prioritize esg assets um funnily enough that was a topic we just touched on before we went on air but um i find it a difficult topic in in our world um certainly for people who don't trade individual equities um to have a a strong opinion about esg how do you how do you incorporate esg in in what we do i find it difficult and so do I. I think for us trading the uh, the commodity markets and the energy markets, and um, you know, just a diversified trend following portfolio, it's it's very difficult to to even understand what what ESG means in that context and and what the impact is. And I know of CTAs who have signed the UNPRI, and you know, who uh, uh, mention on their websites that they're all for sustainability and all that. I have no problem with that, but I also know that they're trading crude oil and nat gas and all of that. So I, I'm not sure if, if there's a conflict or whether there's an imbalance. Um, I probably need to learn more about it. I, uh, I just don't know how to handle it within a trend following context the way we do it at the moment. Yeah, I'm all for trading a lot of ESG stocks, you know, um, and trying to fit in and trying to, I uh, don't think it would be, I think we trend following CTAs that traded stocks as part of their portfolio would be, would be the ones that would be easiest for us to incorporate those uh, type of stocks without uh, some sort of any or certainly any material uh, fall off in performance. But uh, then can I go short them? Uh, I don't know. And then, man, I got to trade crude. And, and can I trade crude? Do I only have to short, can I only short crude? So I don't know. I mean, I have a feeling that over time, if or at least in the recent, uh, in the in the upcoming months and years, it may be better to trade uh, the sin stocks. I'm not sure. <laughs> Good stuff. Now the last 
thing I wanted to touch on. It's not so much of a question, but it was a question we posted, uh, and we're kind of trying to crowdsource kind of the best explanation as to why people should have systematic trend following in their portfolio. And we we had a suggestion uh, last week, uh, which was great. And here's one from another one of our favorites, which is uh, Seth, who wrote in uh, this week uh, to give his uh, suggestion. And I really encourage anyone who has a good way of, of kind of explaining why systematic trend following should be in anyone's portfolio. I really want to try and crowdsource that so we get um, maybe a better, more palatable explanation to people. So anyways, here goes. Seth writes the following. It is no secret that there are few things you can do as a human uh, to be more healthy, live longer, and have a more enjoyable life overall. We know eating a healthy, balanced diet with the appropriate amount of cal caloric intake is optimal. We know frequent physical activity and exercise helps not only strengthen our physical condition, but also improves our mental health. We know sleep is a good thing. We know it's better to abstain or avoid some things like smoking or crossing the street without looking. There aren't that many secrets when it comes to being healthy. The hard part is making good choices in the moment. Often the short-term results of healthy behavior are negative and lead us to making suboptimal choices for the long run. Cheeseburgers and chocolate cakes taste good. The first time you go to the gym will likely result in soreness. Running a red light may get you to your desired destination faster, often the easier expedient or feel-good choice is not optimal for the long run. Wouldn't it be great if we could just hire someone to make better choices for us? Not only make the choices, but deal with the short-term undesirable effects of optimal long-term decisions. When it comes to long-term preservation and growth of wealth, there aren't many secrets either. Be diversified across asset classes, geographies and time frames. Cut losses short and let winners run. Be agnostic when it comes to market direction, especially with asset classes like commodities and FX. Take small bets, avoid large losses, have a plan, and then have the discipline to follow through even when short-term results are suboptimal. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just hire someone to do it for you? I love it, Seth. I have to say, it's great. Well put. So thank you for sharing that and thank you for allowing us to share that with thousands of people around the world listening in to uh, this conversation. Thank you, Seth. It's really great. Seth, you made me very hungry. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, we've already blown that one-hour budget we had, so uh, I'm going to just make it really short in terms of the, the update and maybe I'll continue to do that, not to bore you too much, and just say... It's good so far in February for trend followers and CTAs. It's up for the month. Let's see how it goes. Um, any final thoughts, guys, that you want to bring up? This was real good fun uh, tonight. Let's continue this next weekend. Yes, I love it. Can't wait to uh, get Eric on the podcast and continue with him. Absolutely. Before we finish, let me just say that there is an updated version of the ultimate guide to the best investment books of all times that you can get for free. Go to toptradersunplugged.com and you'll see a little banner on the top where you can just download this uh, 
this guide, which hopefully will help you on your investment journey, whether it's systematic or not. It's uh, some of the great greatest books that has ever been written. And if you felt you got some value from today's conversation, and I hope you do, then please share uh, with your own followers. Uh, of course, uh, we are always grateful if you can leave a rating and review on iTunes. It really does help other investors discover the Systematic Investor Series. From Jerry Moritz and me, thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.